I was able to listen to that gut feeling of making that change. I was like, okay, you have the stability. The whisper of stand-up got louder, got louder, got louder. Suddenly it's blaring. And the first change of my life took probably the longest to make from being an accountant, going that path, to being an artist, um, even though I was always an artist in inside. Um, and that whisper, and I waited till it was a blare, and I waited till it was sirens, and then I did it. Yeah. Now I can hear the whisper. Yeah. A lot sooner. Right. Um, about moving and things right. like, okay, we're we're good here. I hear that whisper, and I I trust it. So that's always how I've done it. You know, I've never really, you know, I've changed in the sense that I grow. I'm always adding, but not change my instincts. Yeah. I just hone my instincts i just listen to them better i i dive into them more welcome to the underground comedy podcast with sean joyce for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com hey what's up thanks for checking us out if you're in the dc area this weekend we've got dc's best showcase at big hunt and joe list at dc draft house you can get tickets and info on the website our guest today is Robbie Hoffman. Robbie is a Canadian comedian now living in Los Angeles. She has written on The Chris Gethard Show on True TV and Working Moms on Netflix and was recently named a Comedy Central Up Next comic. In this episode, she talks about making the jump from accounting into stand-up, pursuing comedy in multiple forms simultaneously, and her commitment to finding and following her passion. You were born in Brooklyn? Brooklyn. And... Then you moved to Canada? Yeah, Canada. How old were you when you moved to Canada? Um, I was a kid. I went to high school in Canada. I went to university. Uh, I went to McGill, shout out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I moved to Toronto. I actually started stand-up in Montreal. Okay. Um, I was there about a year and a half, two years. Then I went to Toronto, three and a half years. Great scene, got my roots. Um, and then L.A., New York, hybrid. Okay, you've been going back and forth. Yeah, uh, you know, it depends. I write um, a lot for TV, and so it really depends where I get my next job. Um, I was back in New York only because I got Gethard Show, and that was taping in New York. So I was there for about a year. I see. Uh, but I still always maintain a place yeah. in L.A. Um, now I'm in L.A. Because my project that I'm working on is there. Uh, but I'll move to Peru yeah. for a job. I mean, I'll go. It so happens that it's been L.A. Yeah. and New York. Uh -huh. But it's like I tell my rep. I'll go to Uzbekistan if there's work there. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't go to no, that. I'd I, rather you know, be unemployed Yeah, that's here, probably personally. Yeah, that's probably a stretch. Yeah. Um, granted, I know nothing about Uzbekistan yeah. but, the, but the name. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything about either. There might be some nice places there. There's probably a nice city or two, two there. Who knows? I, I really don't. Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, it's funny. I said this to you last night, but I saw you in Montreal uh, over the summer mm. when I was up there, and... Uh, I think you got some somebody called you a Canadian comedian, and as I was listening, you know, I was like, "This this person sounds like Bernie Sanders to me." <laughs> well, yeah, because it's Jewish. It's yeah. like they were like, "Where's Bernie's?" I saw an article a friend posted, uh, "Where's Bernie's accent from?" And uh, he's Jewish. Yeah, That's, <laughs> you know what are we what are we talking about here? So it's that, but I am Canadian. I'm mostly I mean I mostly grew up in Canada yeah. of my whole life, so. That doesn't make me, you know, you could be, it's kind of like that dot. Like if you have a dot of New York in you, yeah, you're probably, you know, it's something it's, it's, it's my whole family is very American. So even though we were in Canada, yeah, 
our microcosm was just New York. Yeah. I have nine siblings. You know, everybody is more New York than the next. And so even though we were in Canada, we were kind of this American. Yeah state in can we were like dc yeah, yeah. We were this, the hoffman district yeah, yeah yeah because like the thing that like makes you seem canadian is the way that people talk they talk differently and that's like the first most obvious right. thing and when you sound like you're from new york you're like mm, i don't know you can seem like you're from new york that's i like, know so you lose the the credit for all those years you picked and it up is funny culture. because i went to jewish schools and a lot of jews would be mistaken for having New York-esque accents. Yeah, yeah. Now, our heritage, a lot of us did come from New York, right. you know? Italians and Jewish immigrants, you know, did come in mostly from New York, I think. Uh, my history is correct on that. But, so I understand that, but Jews have maintained, I might be a little, a touch more, but I did, you know, go to family dinners and stuff where people did talk very mm -hmm. ethnically Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and the New York accent has been shaped by jewelry, right. I think, to some extent. You and you lean into that accent on stage. Yes. I'm like it's kind of like when my mother yells at me and or grandmother yells at you in Yiddish. Uh -huh. For some reason the more angry a person gets, it, it goes back Oh, it comes out. It goes back to the you you're just not thinking, you're going a mile yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah that happens. You to know me. what I, I mean? You're not checking yourself. I uh -huh. think we're constantly checking yourself day and you know, you wanna stay on articulate, you wanna be well spoken. Um, not to say that I'm you know, that that's not the case on you know, but um you just it's fun to snap. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just fun to lose it. Well, I think it's funnier too to to do comedy that way. I think I think having a little bit of an accent sounding a little different is uh it's funnier than speaking exactly you know perfectly proper english that's yeah not i mean we use slang we use street talk you know it's 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 very colloquial language when you're doing stand-up it's mm -hmm. i think the most of that you know you try and see it in scripts writing it out is not as cool when you write out sure. colloquial language on, on script it, something doesn't vibe right it's more of like it will be an actor's note definitely it will mostly be in the performance but on stage you eliminate that and you get to just go directly to the most street the mm -hmm. most how you would talk the most yeah. everything and for me on stage i don't walk around there was an old comedian that i learned from once um a guy named joey elias in montreal um and he said i think he said this and maybe he was quoting another comedian but i think it was him he said he never walks around he's not as angry as he is on stage yeah you know, and that's not that I'm angry on stage, but I think that I'm not the most extra in my life every day. Right. On stage, that is where I get it out. That is my my uh -huh. my release. That is where I can be extra and have those thoughts. And they can exist there uh, because entertainment is always a little extra. It's like TV. You're like, that wouldn't happen in life. Maybe not because it's TV. Yeah, you know it, what I mean? And it should be kind of, I feel like art doesn't have to mimic exact life. It can be a fun exaggeration. It can be a comment on it. It can be what happens if we turn the knob to the most. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like, um, it's cathartic for everybody because yeah. you're, you're kind of, I don't know if you would call it ranting, but there's like a little rant aspect yeah. to it. Um, about, you know, these like things that are frustrating to you yeah. and, it's funny to other people because other people recognize that is frustrating and it doesn't make any sense. So it's like, you know, that's the experience that yeah, they're it's getting. relatable. It's what's happening yeah. in people's heads. Uh -huh. I think people are ranting in their heads. Yes. And they're never it's never coming out. Yeah. Now I get to I have an out 
you know, uh-huh. I have somewhere where I could release what's in my head, and it's very satisfying. But I think it's satisfying for other people to to see someone do that. Like it's satisfying for them right. to to experience it. That they, right. they get they get a similar type of release when they're watching it because it's a it's re- kind of you know reassuring to them that you know they're not crazy that these things are dumb and, and exactly annoying. yeah. Have you found it difficult spending all of that time in Canada when you come? the united states you know stand up the language is very important in stand up and there is a difference in terminology on on things in canada and when you use those certain words those kind of words that people use in, in canada but they don't use them here it can create kind of a delay response from the audience as they're trying to process why you chose that word right do you do you notice that well, you know, I'll throw in Yiddish words. So right. I'm like totally, nobody knows it but me. Sometimes I just talk as most me, and if I get it, they can infer it through a yeah. sentence. It's kind of like when you don't understand a word, but you read it in the context of the sentence, yes, and you can yeah, make sense definitely. of it. I utilize a lot of that, especially with Yiddish or whatever. Obviously, uh-huh. if I'm throwing out fakakta, it might mean fuck in the mm-hmm. contents. I don't know if I could swear on this podcast. Yes, yeah, it, it might you want. be. It might, you know, you might infer that it means that. Um, you know, there are things like that, that I, that I, that I do use, but also, yes, there's, there are clear differences. Um, can I, you know, I had a joke in Canada about the price of duotangs, mm-hmm. how outlandish. Now people do not know what a duotang here. I never here heard they that call word it, in my life. It, you know, I used to, it, it, it closes my special in Canada where I go, you know, I just, I just want to talk about the price of duotangs for a half a second. And it's one of the biggest people die because Everybody knows what a duotang is. A duotang there, and here it's just called a folder, but <laughs> they made a distinction. The folder, it's a folder with those with three of those prongs that split, those metal prongs oh, yeah, that yeah, split. Yeah. That's a duotang. To hold paper in it. To hold paper. What do you call that? A folder. A folder, sort. yeah. See, but we call a folder with the pockets, a pocket folder. Yeah. Is a folder. Now, a duotang has those clasps. I see, yeah. So it's a very specific. Yeah, exactly. And then that joke just—it's just not a joke. I just don't do it here. Yeah, you know? it's just and, not and, a joke. And that's here, fine yeah. for me. You know, some people are like, "Oh my God, my jokes!" Like, not to sound prolific, but I do write a tremendous amount <laughs> um, because I'm always having these thoughts. I used to, I guess, when I first started standing, be like, "Oh, what if I don't think?" Again? But I realize if you're always evolving and you're always growing, there's and, and there's new things all the time. I'm gonna have new thoughts. Yeah. You know, for instance, on a big scale, there's Uber. That's mm-hmm. a million jokes. There's Tinder. Yeah. I mean. If you thought like you only had this this munch, bunch of jokes, then maybe this is not for you. You know, when I left Canada, somebody called me and said, somebody sold your joke. Somebody's doing this joke. It's yours. I'm yeah. like, okay, oh, let right. them have it. Yeah. I, I don't really go after that because it's like. Yeah, it's not. It's impossible it's, to go in after In the beginning, it. I think it would have hurt me more. I would have been, that sucks. And yes. if it's coming from a friend, it sucks. But at the same time, it's like I got a million more where that's coming from. I'm not even using that anymore. Right. You know what I mean? I res- I I tend to generate a lot um, because I'm always thinking a mile a minute. I would mm-hmm. rather slow it down. Yeah. For me, I'm like, stop. Just yeah. enjoy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But my head is just going so many places that I no longer get hung up on stuff. How do you, with those all of those thoughts and ideas, how do you, what technique do you use to get turn those into jokes? Well, see, it's interesting um, because I have so many outlets, which is really, I find, helpful. For instance, Twitter, mm-hmm. right, is a platform. 
stand up and writing scripts. So for me, sometimes I'll have an idea. And I'm like, nah, it's just a tweet. Yeah. And then I have a bigger meal. I'm like, that's a bit. Right. And it's a stand up bit. And then I'll have an idea. I'm like, that's a story. Yeah. It's a script. At least I have somewhere to put all these things you know i i do see comedians sometimes try and transfer the like, well i'll just take my twitter feed nah it's got to originate from it being a bit or it being a tweet oh, or it so? being a, i do think so i think there's times where you can yeah but i think you can't predominantly do that i think there's a few that work in multiple aspects there's no question you know um yeah they're different forms you know you but they are different forms and and if you know the heart of the form uh it can change you know a yeah. thing. and and sometimes twitter things will really fall flat when somebody's just oh doing definitely, them. definitely you know what i mean and but they're like but it went viral yes because it was a total different medium because it's a great idea yeah it's a great idea, but you have to know where to put the idea. It doesn't necessarily make um, people laugh out loud. Yeah. So now that I have all these outlets, and I need more outlets, because sometimes I'm like, oh, that would be great. felt like I need to edit. I need to know how to do this, because I that idea would work great if I could put this scene with this. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's things that push me to learn other skills that I don't currently have. Like with writing, when I had a first story, it's like, it's not a bit. It's not the. It, it's not a. You know, I have to write this script. So you, it's obviously a script. And what did what was was it a pilot? What did you? Yeah, write for? that was a pilot. Um, the first pilot I wrote, I knew nothing. Uh, this is you know, I'll just fast forward through the story. But I basically knew nothing about writing when I got into stand up. I I assumed that all stand ups wrote just because the ones I heard of, like. Ellen had a show. Seinfeld had a show. Yeah. I was like, I'll need a show. Yeah. No rhyme or reason. I, you know, and then I looked up those scripts, scripts from shows. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's a fucked up format that they got going on. Uh-huh. You know, I got word. Yeah. You know, who's doing, you know, and <laughs> yeah. then I looked up that program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like 500 USD, something like that. And I'm like, what? So I got my friend David to hack it download this shit yeah. for me and then oh before i even did that i wrote my script in word and then i painstakingly it took me five days to write the script because i have the story uh-huh. now i'm not gonna say it was the greatest i the story was out there now years of writing just like stand-up i've honed my skills right, as, a, as right. a screenwriter um and i continue to but i got the story out super quick relatively and then what took me just as long was painstakingly doing the spacing of that yeah, yeah. fucked up final draft <laughs> yeah, format because yeah. i was too cheap to buy it uh-huh. didn't have the money to buy it truthfully and then i put it in that Corel 12 font uh-huh. i found the matching yeah, font yeah. i pdf'd it i made it look like this final draft fucked up yeah thing. yeah <laughs> and then i like stapled it put it in manila envelopes like i'm from like 1924 the internet it's not like i came up like 20 years ago yeah, yeah. fully could have been emailed Right. I didn't even think of it. And then I walked into like Canadian production companies or companies that I knew. Yeah. Like HBO Canada. I'm That's like, oh, so they got funny. an office. And I would bring, I was like, the president asked uh, to read. And they're like, we don't have a president. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. like, literally. Yeah, I, they look at you like you're insane when you do that. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm just a courier. I don't know. I was told to deliver <laughs> this. Um, and that did get me my first option. Wow, yeah, it worked. that got my first option. So I got an option. It, n- it never sold, but what it did get me, it's, it was read. It got me some type of notice. I was hired onto my first official show from that. And, you know, and then I got into the real game. Wow, it. that's um, like your parents' advice working. 
Yeah. Were there your parents always like, yeah, take your resume down to the down to the company? And you're like, no, no. my my mother had no support, no advice. (laughs) Uh, My father fucked up. I I don't have a dad, but my mom, like, I remember when I got into McGill, it was the only school I applied to because the app fee was free. Okay. I was going to apply to one American school, but it was 60 USD. I was like, 60 USD? Forget it. <laughs> I love that I had a problem with it being 60, but the tuition, I didn't even factor. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I was already like roadblocked by yeah. the 60 bucks at yeah. 17 or whatever. Sometimes things just don't feel right. Yeah, so I just did that one school. And then when I got in, I kind of told my mother the next day, I was like, you know, I was like, I start I start school. I start McGill tomorrow and I'm moving out and whatever. And she was like, I can't help you with any of that. And that was like her yeah, support. Yeah. Um, so no, my but that said, my mother is supportive, right? Um, in her own way of stand up, uh, it's it's mostly backwards support. Mm-hmm. Like she'll come to a show and it's a two drink minimum. She's like, "Excuse me, I brought my own water." Yeah, yeah. For yeah. my Weight Watchers, I'm like, "Ma, it's not helpful." Yeah, yeah. Like this is like it looks bad. <laughs> yeah. And like you leaving right after my set, it looks bad. Yeah. You can't just leave immediately after I'm Can on. Can she understand that? No. no She's like, she... excuse me. It's almost 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost 10 o'clock. Like as if I'm wrong. I'm like, yeah. don't come. Just, yeah. it, it does me, it pains me when you're here. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. anxious. I don't, it, it, it's not good for anyone. You right. don't want to be here. Look, right. at you're, it's a complete, everything is a struggle for you to be here. Yeah, I'll send you a tape. You can yeah, watch a tape. Yeah, the two drink minimum. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you not leave the house with twenty dollars? Yeah, Canadian, please leave the house <laughs> with twenty. Buy a ginger ale. They're not forcing. She's like they're forcing. I'm like they're not forcing yeah, you to have yeah. alcohol. <laughs> yeah. They're not. Like you have this narrative that's like woes me. It's yeah. not true. You're the maniac. Well, I'm sorry I brought that up. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> it's really bad because she's also hearing impaired. She's like the acoustics were terrible. I'm like you wear hearing aids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, it's not the, this is a theater. <laughs> yeah. They're set up for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, oh, the acoustics are terrible. Do you get to do a lot of theaters in Canada? Uh, there are. Yeah, there's some cute ones. Like, but when, I don't know, because you can get to different levels in Canada and then move to the United States and then, you know, you have to come back down and kind of start, like, build yourself back up when you yeah. move here. Were, did you experience that or were you still, like, uh, in a, like, or like, feature early headliner yeah i was like featuring when i moved you know what i've always you know knock on wood but Mm. i've been really um lucky or you know uh, i feel blessed to some way i always worked really hard in the city that i was at and then when i felt it you made it to the when i felt like oh i'm about to do this thing that i would move yeah um and that and and i would kind of so starting from the bottom, I mean, when I first started, yes. Uh, but really, I was embraced when I came to Toronto. I found New York. Uh, I found, sorry, Montreal tougher in terms of your starting. And it was not a lot of places. It was a couple places. And these old guys ran it. And they were very rude. And yeah, it just was not a pleasant place for a young 20, you know, early 20 girl. Yeah. To be with all these people. And I only look back now and I realize like, oh, I really shouldn't have been there with those guys oh you know, yeah stuff yeah like it's that. not the right like, place like 50 yeah. year old not that anything creepy happened to me but just they were creepy and yeah, i shouldn't have been exposed you know to my little sisters i wouldn't want to know that she was 
you know, yeah. I, I just should not have been exposed to some of the things I was. Uh, but then when I went to Toronto, it was the first like cool scene. Yeah. Where it was like popping, young women were running shit. Um, alt alt right. stuff was happening. Comedy bar was amazing. And they kind of welcomed me with open arms. I felt really a surge in stand up, even though I was, still, I was doing a lot of mics. The mics were good. Mm -hmm. You know, things that you appreciate for sure. And then L.A., I was already writing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So I moved there with a job. Yeah, and that's a lot different. So I, was, I moved there confidence. with a show. Yeah, so let's say I didn't have to do mics necessarily. You know, I love doing mics, so I was doing them to meet people more so and stuff like that. But even if I had one or two good shows, and I mean, you know, what we know, what we consider a good show right. a week, that would be good to start building because I was working full time in a room. So it was a good balance yeah. to work up to five shows a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. And those few shows would get me more. So um, you're always restarting to some extent, maybe not from zero again, yeah. depending if you're, if you're a micer and you move somewhere as a micer. Yes, that, that's going to be the case. But sometimes with the amount of travel that comics have, you can get people will start to hear about you in other cities just mm -hmm. by festivals, by people coming to your town, your main club, and mm -hmm. you open for them or something like that. You can start to... You know, the scenes, I know people in multiple scenes now, which is nice. Have, yeah, have you started to be able to headline multiple cities now? Yes, I'm going to Chicago. Now, this is, you know, I've just started with PA. I think it scared me to be, like, on the... I've always been somebody who bases out of a big city and gets a tremendous... You know, there's a lot of work to be had in, in, sure, in sure. a big city. And I always thought about if I stayed in a smaller place like Montreal or whatever, I would probably tour more. But now that we're more... Uh, my rep has talked to me about touring and you know, it's, it's just doing a weekend is nice to me. Mm -hmm. Like staying here for the weekend. That's nice. Doing the one nights. Um, I think if you're not in a big city, that's your route a lot of times. And yeah. if you're a big city, there's a lot of work. So it's just different. I was just based in a big city, so I didn't necessarily need to go out. Um, now I enjoy going out. Um, I'll be in Chicago next month, for instance. Mm -hmm. And it's just spending the weekend just gives you you can actually enjoy the city for a second rather sure. than every night getting in your car. Going yeah, that's exhausting because every day yeah. is a travel day exactly. when you do that. And exactly. Yeah, that's like a, that's a very rough. It's interesting. You do a lot of alternative shows, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting because you have a little bit of a club style. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. People tell me that I do both. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've never pigeonholed into anything. Uh -huh. My whole thing is I just do what I think is funny. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm alt by the way of who I am. Right. I'm a dyke. Like, there's uh, the stuff I, you know, I might. Ha so it's interesting. I'm not in any one box. Yeah. Um, and that's why I do. That's why I do enjoy going out more now because I do a lot of alt. Um, and I and I I mean, alt is mainstream now, and I came up in that world. So for yeah. me, I never even looked at it as alt or this. It's like that was just my comedy. Like, that's how I came up mm -hmm. is just from these rooms. You know, I was never embraced by clubs or this and that. You know, I was always. So I thought that was the mainstream and it is the mainstream yeah. scene. You know what I mean? I think it's changed a lot where like I think like years ago, like stuff like Louie and 
Zach Alf, like that was like weird. That was all because mm. it was like clubs and they were one room. But I'm at an age where I just came up and that was the scene. Yeah, yeah. So I never, so now getting clubs is interesting, like doing Alton clubs because I was like, oh, well, this is new for me, even though that's the old school. Right. Is like the clubs. Yeah. Like I didn't come up from the clubs. I'm not hanging around the clubs to get the one spot on the club. It just now I'm like, oh, I'm embraced by. I'll just do whatever. I'll talk yeah. to anyone. And I think the clubs are changing, too. Exactly. The clubs are, are different. And I, there was a time, you know, where they kind of everything did kind of merge. And there wasn't really that dis that distinction went away for a while. Yeah. And then I think it's opened back up again. And yeah. I think there's like, you know, with the comedy Civil War and everything and people well, get, right. getting mad at each other. They're like a, a taking sides. Right. And then that's kind of re right. redividing it into alt and club people. Right. Um, which hopefully that's like a temporary thing and then it goes Yeah, back. I think it's all chiller and it's all just like blending, like you say, because yeah. there's a lot of us who came up like I didn't even know that I was in an alt scene until right. you told me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Just because I was doing huge rooms, I wouldn't consider that when I'm like alt, I think if somebody asked me what alt is, I feel like four people in a basement. It's yeah. Not, oh really? Not packing out Union Hall or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So um I think that's what I would have thought, but and it didn't feel all what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Like all my shows, they feel like, oh, well, a lot of people are here. That seems mainstream. All for me always seems like two people are listening to it. Yeah. Um, and now it's interesting doing clubs and realizing, oh, this is what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like this, like this, like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's all mixing a lot more. Even I do the improv uh, in L.A. now. I've been starting to get in with the improv. Um, and I'm going to be going to, you know, the store and, and, and doing that. Like there's shows, independent shows that they run out of mm -hmm. there that are cool too. And I think those shows lead to more clubby type feel shows, yeah. but they're all mixing. Yeah. Like you say, I think that it, it's nice. I mean, it's just kind of a luxury to have a style that works in both places because some people's style, you know, they really need to go from the alt shows to like little theaters as opposed to just because it doesn't really fit in in a club like regular right. people who are going to a comedy comedy club and they don't know the comic and then if they're very unusual or they're really trying to push boundaries with like what they're talking about or they're going to be real meta about the stand-up it's just confusing to the to, to a yeah a, a i think whatever it is member. it has to just be funny mm -hmm. you know like uh, people like oh you're like people forget like i'm just so weird and not that I, but I always just feel different because mm -hmm. I don't see me around and people will, I, I think people will resonate with that no matter what, if it feels real to me, it'll feel real to them, alt, otherwise, whatever. I think because it's funny. Mm -hmm. I think there's a ton of people who do, who also do weird shit, who do big theaters and stuff, but because it's just funny, it's mm -hmm. like, this is a fucking weirdo. Um, and it's, it's less like slam poetry mm -hmm. or something, you know, those acts, are specific you know but i've seen those if those acts are funny i think i think they they'll prevail as as the worlds collide more mm -hmm. between all mainstream whatever the hell you want to call it i think if you're funny it won't matter what style yeah it's funny will ultimately i think always win i agree i agree with that do you think that like do you ever think about trying to do different types of shows if you i'm only thinking of this as you're si talking about the different ideas you have yeah um if you're thinking of stories uh, it makes me think like well maybe you would want to do a one-person show or something yeah like that. i so i did uh, my hour at the new york comedy festival i because i had an hour 
when I do an hour and it's just Robbie Hoffman and it's not like, oh, I'm booked to do this so and do this time. And mm-hmm. I did feel uh, I felt I had the time to share some of the longer still stand up stories, yeah. things that I wouldn't necessarily when I'm going a mile a minute somewhere, I right. just get up my energy and I'm flying. Right. But the stories slow me down. They're also super interesting. They're mm-hmm. a different part of my brain, right. but they're still stand. You know, it's always still for me the base, probably stand up. But even my rep was like, it felt like stories. Yeah. And it was just, I had that space and right. I made that call mm-hmm. that, oh, I can tell this thing now. I never get to do this yeah. because it's just when I'm going a mile a minute, I don't suddenly slow down. I, I up, up, up just because I'm a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. You know I what like I mean? that though. <laughs> that's fun. That, yeah. And that's like, that's what Big Hunt needs. Big Hunt crowds love the mile a minute stuff. Yeah, I start going like I start, I start, yeah. okay, and then I'm like, by the end of last night, <laughs> I was psychotic. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody after the show, like these dudes in the back were like, you were insane. And <laughs> we just had a great time because I build up and for 45 minutes, you've been on this build up yeah, with me. Yeah, I yeah. never then come down. But the hour was great for that. Now I run a, I do a talk show. Oh. Um, and I do it, uh, I'll do it, I'll be in LA December 6th at the Lyric. Uh, but I kind of just, it started as a fun, stupid idea when Gethard show was canceled I was like, with all these late night shows, they're always giving it to somebody else. Like the Tonight Show went from Leno to Fallon. Yeah. Why can't they with the Gethard show? So I'm going to take over the Gethard show. So I did the Chris Gethard show with Robbie Hoffman. That's funny. Um, and I told Gethard like a day before. I'm like, I stole your show. He's like, I think there's legality. I'm like, is what it is. He did, but he was okay it with it though. Yeah, he was okay. He's like, yeah. my people might not be okay with it, but is what it yeah. is. Yeah. We got on the news and everything. We sold out. And that's just me. Was that just a one-time thing? No, I've been doing it. I, I brought it to Just for Laughs also this summer. And you're still calling it the Chris Gethard show? Now I, I go. It's either the early evening show with Robbie Hoffman. Okay. Or when I'm feeling like I want to bother Gethard and Gethard okay. fans, I do the Chris Gethard show. It's the exact same show. The show is basically me doing whatever. I. It's, it's, it's really going back to the roots of talk show host talking. Okay. Um, which I feel like. You know, with some of the mainstream talk show, you know, we know that there's a teleprompter. I feel like you feel it. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's just I want to go back to what it was like when good talkers talk. And I love talking. So it was a perfect thing. And I have people on it that nobody wants, that nobody's booking. I had the first guy I had sex with, the only guy I had sex with. Great. It's That's perfect funny. for my talk show. He's not getting booked anywhere else. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. I had uh, my tennis coach. I yeah. took four lessons of tennis because mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I never had access to this. He came on. So, you know, this is alternative. Yeah. Yeah. See, and now I'm alt again. Yeah. But I just do whatever's in my brain and people will say, you're alt. You're this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, good. whatever That's it good. is. Um, and the show is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. We call my brother Schmully. We say, what's up? He's he's normally either at Costco or waiting for the bus. Um, but, you know, it's just the segments are just me. Uh, what I want to who I want to talk yeah, to. That's who I'm great. interested in. I love in. that. Yeah. I have my physician coming on the show. I, I really respect him. Um, and we talk about my uterine polyp. How Nobody o- is, <laughs> there's no reason for this. No, but it's yeah. interesting. It is interesting to hear somebody talk about that because no one talks about it. You never get to hear that conversation. It's a different thing that you're hearing. Yes. And my physician's not so booked up. He was available. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's great. People are going for these big, Gethard was like, oh, I'm going to be in town. Like, I remember for the <laughs> show, he's like, oh, I'm going around with my book tour. I'm going to be in town this thing. Um, so maybe I could, I was like, oh, you're not on the show. 
<laughs> there'd be no reason to book you. I got nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really funny. And he was like, so I'm not going to be on the show that you stole. I'm like, I mean, if I, I don't have any questions for you right now. <laughs> I'm going to think of stuff. But yeah. So it's funny. funny. And, and uh, have you sold more shows since that first one? Sold or you know you got the option on the first one. Oh yes, no. Um, I am working currently on my own show. Yeah. So is it where what I stage? I, I, I say nothing about anything. Okay. Uh, but it's all very fun stuff, and I feel very blessed and very excited. Okay, um, cool. About whatever's happening. Okay, well maybe we'll see it sometime. Yeah. Have you met a more superstitious person than me? No, I don't I blame you. Comics are. I wouldn't want to talk about stuff if yeah. it was kind of up in the air or not solid. Or I, I would feel the same way. So I don't think you should. Feel yeah. I, well, I just don't. It's not even up in the air. It's just like I like to. I like to keep the energy. I do too. I, yeah, I, I'm I do big too. on the energy. Yeah. yeah. When I have like a like a brand new show that's coming out. Yeah. You know, I wait till the I right time to say. I just keep the energy it. for the show and let everybody enjoy it how I did. You yeah. Know, yeah. Just, where it hits you, it hit me. Mm-hmm. I want to give everybody it hit you yeah. like it hit me and not not secrete it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did uh do you find the same type of enjoyment from writing as doing these other things? I do. Um a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's interesting comics who don't write and they're like, "Well, I would get, you know, I would want to do it. Like I could do it." It's like, "Are you passionate about it?" It's like it's a whole other passion. Yeah. You know what I mean? They think it's just like a job sometimes. I think it's a mental block. Like I, I kind of have because I have the beginning of that that feeling, even like tagging other people's jokes. Yeah, I'm like, I might want to use that tag for something right. for my own thing, and like that's right the wording on. that I would use when I talk. And you know, I find I I do not I'm not prolific the way you are with just constantly churning stuff out. So, and I'm super perfectionist. So like right. when I have stuff, I want to use it and like. But it's clear when you talk to people who are writers is that you might start off feeling that way and you just get over it. You just get used to writing tons of stuff and you yeah. you just cycle through it and you find out that, oh, you don't you don't have a limited amount of ideas like you can no, continue exactly. to produce. Just but, like stand up. But it feels like that's what it feels like to me. I feel like I have a limited number of ideas. But here you are with a new idea. Yeah. Right. right? You'll mm-hmm. you'll meet yourself at another year and uh-huh. you're like, I I'm itching. So that's how I feel with writing. It's like it's a whole other. Some people only write. Yeah. For instance, they never thought about stand up. It's like people are like, well, I guess I could write. Like, do you want do you want to? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is a total different game, you know, and I hate actually writing, but I love having written, which is the famous quote. But uh. um, yeah, it's a lot harder for me. Um, it's a complete different challenge. And it's me against myself and there's no audience and there's something very satisfying about the process because of how hard it is, mm-hmm. how long it is. Yeah. And there's no immediate satisfaction. Right. Um, you know, so somebody came up to me. I were on the show Working Moms yesterday and they said, I'm obsessed with Working Moms and I watch it on Netflix and I love it. And it's like, I haven't seen that episode for her. It just came out. Yeah. I wrote those scripts a year and a half ago. Yeah. You know, I worked on that show. Like it for me, it's like, it's so not immediate, and by the time the episodes come out, I've also like not. Yeah, you moved on. Uh, yeah, I'm on to the next show or whatever. So it's, it's you have to really delay your gratification, and there's something very, uh, you know, there's something not spiritual, but there's something. It's a training camp mm-hmm. of some 
kind that you don't get everything you want right away. Yeah. Stand up when I do have those ideas and I'm itching. I'm like, gotta go out right now. I gotta hear it right now. Yeah. Right now. How are we doing? You know? And so I do that. But with writing, it's you have to plan it for the future. Yeah. Um, and it's just a whole other thing. And then it's it's like a longer orgasm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, it's like it's it's like the female orgasm. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Where stand up is, is definitely the male, the male is yeah, the male orgasm. Immediate. Um, this is like it lasts for longer. Yeah, yeah. Like when you do a show and you see it and the departments come together and everything, it's it is you're you're satisfied for a long time. Yeah, you're yeah. C- you're coming the whole time. Uh, so yeah, those are the two different. That's my male side and my female side. Not to offend anyone, but that's how I I, I made sure. me feel about it yeah. to some extent. Have you had like were the things that you had to change about the way that you approached at your career in general, like stand up or writing? That you know, when in early days you were kind of doing it a certain way, and you kind of realized like I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to change my outlook on Never. this. No, you you came out right out of the gates. I just know. I I mean, I don't know anything when you're coming, you know, you're just going on gut. Um, I think growing up without parents, um, you know, I have parents. My father is not in my life and my mother was fed us and things like that. But I didn't have a very uh, I didn't have very involved parents. And I think I got to really trust my instinct. Yeah. A lot better. I became my own parent. Yeah. Yeah. for instance, I went into accounting when I went to school. I didn't go into the arts because I was like, you need. Yeah. I hated being poor. I needed not to be poor anymore. Yeah. And so for me, I needed the least amount of school for the most amount of payoff, most stability. And then only when I got that job, you know, I worked at KPMG. They gave me a free laptop. I went with them. I was like, <laughs> for keepsies, I'm in. And that was it. They gave me $800 laptop. And that was, That's you know, funny. and then did I start thinking creatively? more and where I could breathe because I can't be starving. I starved too long and my, you know, so, um, and then you're just, I was able to listen to that gut feeling of making that change. I was like, okay, you have the stability, the whisper of stand up got louder, got louder, got louder. Suddenly it's blaring. And the first change of my life took probably the longest to make from being an accountant, going that path to being an artist. Um, even though I was always an artist, in inside mm-hmm. um and that whisper and i waited till it was a blare and i waited till it was sirens and then i did it yeah now i can hear the whisper yeah a lot sooner right um about moving and things right. like okay we're we're good here i hear that whisper and i i trust it yeah you're more confident um yeah so that's the same with stand-up i always did what i thought was funny uh, because i trust myself as a funny person, and this doesn't translate for everyone because some people are funny and it doesn't translate to stand-up because stand-up is not only innately funny, it's talent, it's work, it's, work, yeah. you know, so it's all that stuff. But I did trust that I was funnier, more of an expert on funny mm-hmm. than the people around me so yeah. that I would tell them what's funny. Yeah. If I thought it was funny, if I'm thinking it's funny to them, it's got to be funny. And that's and that's not always the case, but most times because I do think something's funny, uh, not that I, s- I I sell it, you know. I'm yes, authentic about exactly. it. Exactly. You know, it comes and across. so they can feel that I really think this thing. So that's always how I've done it. You know, I've never really, you know, I've changed in the sense that I grow. I'm always adding, but not change my instincts. Yeah. I just 
hone my instincts. I just listen to them better. I, I dive into them more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just lean into them more than, uh, rather than changing. So I evolve and grow more into myself yeah. with every year. I relate to that, f- what you're saying about the kind of lightly involved parents and then trusting your gut. I mean, I feel yeah. a very similar way. I mean, maybe my parent situation is like a little less extreme than yours, yeah. but you know, it was along those lines, which made me confident in myself because I was like, all right, I got to do everything myself. I can't trust anyone to do anything else for me. And I also started the same way where I was like, I'm going to major in economics. I'm going to go to business school. And like, because I got to make money first. That's like the first thing I got to support myself. And then once I had a day job, then I started being like, okay, this sucks. And I got to find something else to do. But it did take me a long time to like gain the confidence. And then once I got going, then each step, you know, you feel more confident. You're like, okay, my instincts are right. You know? Yeah. Because the thing is, is growing up on that side of the coin. I mean, you know, this is a bad way to look at the world, but it's to some extent, I always look at those who come from something and those that don't. Yeah. Just because that's what I relate to. You know what I mean? And you're always finding your people. And I do relate, you know, I inherently the values of the people who come from nothing. I, I, I tend to continue um, to just feel at home with amongst these people. Um, even though I have some very, you know, naturally wealthy, I have some very born, you know, uh, some wealthy friends, especially that I met in business school. Um, and we, you know, we get along and and tons of that, but there's a, there's a difference. There's a homeness that is missing. Um, and, but I think that we have a perspective on the world when you grow up with something like your parents aren't totally involved or stuff like that. It's you see something in the world that not everybody sees. You know, there is a a, a 1% that doesn't see it that way. And what you see is maybe truth truth in spirit a little bit more because all you're left with is your spirit. You don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. All you have is your soul, your thoughts, and things like that. And so you're maybe more in tune to them, kind of like somebody if somebody is blind and they have better hearing Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, I think that we even though i grew up poor and nothing and finally i had a desk job i still knew it was wrong right i felt that as human beings of all the species we were gifted with this tremendous gift of of a thoughtful brain of philosophical thinking um and it wasn't natural for us to stifle that Mm -hmm. we are the few people who can philosophically think about things Mm -hmm. and so it just wasn't natural not to do art and i don't mean art just i mean science i mean things that people are passionate about yeah we're the few driven by passion and not animal instinct um and not everybody does have passion but a lot of people are not even listening for it right things like that um and we know that passion is a huge drive that separates us from any other species it's a weird you can't contextualize it it's just it's super strange and we were gifted with it and it's such a waste to cubicle it and stifle it and go every day we're not monkeys yeah we can't do that um and that's why we i think we see a lot of this depression and stuff but rich people who have had everything they just they're maybe not as in tune to the natural elements of, of you know, I, i'm really projecting here so i apologize to all the richies listening <laughs> yeah. um but yeah it's just i feel like we're more in tune to listen to that stuff yeah um and that's where i feel like blessed to some extent to see it that way that i know that i'm doing what naturally 
makes sense. Yeah. Like I should be feeding this part of my brain and all the intellectual side because we're the few species. I don't, you know what I mean? We have it to such a capacity. Be a shame for it to go to waste in something that's menial or redundant where you're not challenged and you don't have to learn a new thing because we're so capable of learning so many more new things. Yeah, and when you when you do start to pursue th- those types of things and you 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 know, you start to make progress and you feel the satisfaction that comes with it. It's a completely different type of satisfaction. It's complete. It's your soul. It's you feel right. It's like when something it's like when something clicks, you don't you know, I was always late at KPMG. Yeah, I was always late in these business jobs. I would come in. I remember my boss, Paul, was like, it's 1030. Robin. I'm like, well, either you want to fire me or not. But either way, it's 1030. You want me to get to emails because I'm already late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never stepped st- being staffed, writing, doing stand up. I'm early. Yesterday, yeah. how early. I'm never, I'm just, I want to go. Right. I wake up in the morning every day. The greatest luxury I have is I wake up in the morning and I love going where I go. And I think that that is a natural feeling. Right. Purpose. I think it's just natural and we ignore it for the sake of made up systems. And yeah. it's just not to get too, like, I, I keep saying in this podcast not to get too much and then I go too much, uh, but but not uh, so um, conspiracy theory, but but this cog and it, it just it seems unnatural. It feels unnatural. Hmm, maybe it's unnatural. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's a conspiracy theory because I, I mean, it's obviously that's obviously there's a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah. And you can see it even it's easier to look back and say like, oh, people were working in these steel mills and and they were dying when they were. 45 or something and you're like okay well, that was not natural and people shouldn't have been no. in that position you know like it's too that's not what a human body is like supposed to be doing no and a, a man shouldn't go to the same thing every day you're killing this man's brain yeah i mean this is a thinking man mm-hmm. this is uh, this is an elevated species to some extent and then we're making him do this menial thing for 40 years and yes he was driven by the passion of his family or whatever else right, was there right. but we could have done better with his passion yeah we could have we could have really cultivated this person into god knows what and and i mean that not the arts i include the sciences and the arts i include yeah. all of that i include whatever feeds your brain in a real way right and that could be business yeah it can that be could accounting be. economics it, yeah. is for sure an art you know yeah. what i mean um and it's incredibly abstract in certain ways um but if that's your passion, then I want you to do that. If it's not, yeah, I, I don't want you to. There are people, I think, who are really into accounting and I agree. love it. They love the numbers. I agree. That and that, that is, it's phil- math. You know, it, it is all, you know, my friend Ryan Abrams, he's incredibly passionate about business, but in a real sense of it. Um, mm. And I think he's doing what he should be doing. Right. Um, but there's people who are not. And, and, and that's that's where the break is yeah, for me. Yeah, definitely. Well... I think we've done a great job. Oh, here. okay. I don't know if do you wow, have lo- any no, just lovely speaking to you. Yeah, it's been fun. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be at the Lyric December sixth. I don't know when this comes out with uh the Chris Gether show with Robbie Hoffman. Um, lots of fun guests. It's my birthday episode, so I'm having my horoscope read for the nice. first time. You got social media? Um yes, I'm I am Robbie Hoffman on Twitter for nudes, Robbie Hoffman on Instagram. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, thanks very much for being here. Thanks for having me, man. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.